0: You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Prince or Pauper. Part three. Enjoy. Lord, we love you so much. We're here because of your amazing grace in our lives we're here to receive from you this morning we've left our homes we've driven here we've given you the first of our week because you're our God we gladly bring to you the first we bl- gladly bring to you our best because you're our father and Lord we thank you for multiplying back unto us everything we give to you many times over we thank you for it father we bless you and worship you and we put our trust in you right now and we keep our minds stayed on you and we thank you for life abundantly in Jesus name amen. amen at highway church we're we're very much about relationship with God and being born again really has nothing to do with religion it's about having an unhindered relationship with God a relationship with God where you hear his voice where you know His plan for your life, where you know His purpose, and He's walking with you, and you're walking with Him. It's about having an unobstructed, free-flowing relationship with God. So we need to be born again because there's something in the way of our relationship with God before we're born again. The something that was in the way before we were born again was the curse of sin. And there's someone in the way of our relationship with God before we're born again. And that someone is Satan. But we've, we see in the scriptures that through faith in Christ, when we're born again, the curse of sin is removed from us and Satan is put under our feet. And the separation between us and God is completely removed and we enter into this free-flowing, unobstructed, unhindered relationship with God. That's the only way to do it it's just through jesus it's the only way to be born again is through faith in christ let's let's go a little deeper in this let's go and and let's look way way back in the very beginning let's go back to genesis chapter one and we're going to see in the beginning god was the father of man he's not today he was then okay we're going to see it changed So the quality of our lives is determined by who our Father is. And in the beginning, God was the Father of man. And there was nothing in between God and man. He had this unhindered relationship with God. No obstruction. Nothing in between. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let's start reading in verse 26. And God said... Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the cattle and over, look at that, all the earth, total dominion over the whole earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in His own image in the image of God created he him male and female created he them and God blessed them and God said unto them be fruitful listen to the heart of God be fruitful multiply replenish the earth does that sound like someone who's holding back from us Not at all. It's the opposite, isn't it? He's opening himself wide to man. Be fruitful. Multiply. I want the best for you, right? Replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. This is amazing uh, to understand that God gave man in the beginning sovereignty over the entire earth and every living thing on it. God was his father. And because God was his father, because there was nothing hindering, nothing in between his relationship with God, his quality of life was unparalleled. He lacked nothing, had everything in abundance. He was living in absolute paradise. God set him in the center of paradise. If you read the scriptures, we don't have time this morning, but you read Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. It's amazing the world that they were living in. There were uh, no storms. No, no, it didn't even rain. No tornadoes, no hurricanes. Didn't even rain. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 6, it said that when water was needed, it said that a mist would rise from the earth and water the ground. Isn't that amazing? Creation was flowing in harmony with its creator. And Adam was born into life, he was made eternal, immortal. Born into life with God as his father. There was no death in the earth. No sin in the earth. Even the animals ate plants. They didn't need each other. Isn't that something? It's like what you would hope the earth would be like. You know, total paradise. And even in the midst of this total paradise, God says something to him. Subdue it have dominion over it. Those are like military terms, aren't they? And when we read the Scriptures, we find that Satan was already in the earth at this time. However, he had no authority. Adam had authority over the earth. Okay? And God instructed him to maintain that authority. To subdue and have dominion over every living thing. And that certainly includes Satan. So Jesus tells us that Satan was a liar and a murderer from the very beginning. That he has a plan. His plan is to steal and to kill and to destroy. So you can imagine as Satan is powerless watching Adam enjoy the presence of God, the blessings of God, seeing Adam going forward in God's purpose for his life, that it aggravated him. But he couldn't do anything about it. And the name Satan is an interesting name. If you study it out, it has some very interesting definitions. It means the one who opposes, the one who plots against the one who accuses, the adversary. It means the one who obstructs or gets in the way of. So that was his plan, to get in the way of God and Adam, to obstruct them. But he couldn't do anything. The only way he could do that, his only hope was deception. And Let's go to Romans, Stay in Genesis, put your finger there, but go to Romans chapter 5. I want to show you the Satan's plan. Romans chapter 5, then we're going to go back to Genesis. Satan's only hope was to steal the sovereignty that God gave to Adam. If he could do that, then he could change things. But only if he could do that. Now we're going to Romans chapter 5. Now Romans chapter 5 verses 17 through 21 basically summarize and explain to us what happens in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We're just going to peek at Romans 5:17 right now and it's up on the screen. Look at it with me. This is the Weymouth translation. And it says for if through the transgression of the one individual look at this death made use of who's that one individual by the way? Adam, right? Death made use of Adam, right? To do what? To seize the sovereignty So Satan made use of Adam to steal from him the sovereignty that God gave him. Now let's go back to Genesis. So how did Satan do this? Well, understand that Satan was around a lot longer than Adam was. And he understood spiritual laws and spiritual principles. And he understood that authority is bestowed by the Word of God. Authority comes through the Word of God. And he knew that there was a spiritual law that you are subject to the one who you obey. So if he could get Adam to obey his words, to esteem his words higher than God's word, then Adam would become uh, the servant or become underneath the authority of Satan. And he had a strategy and he does the same thing today and we're going to read it in just a moment. It's a three-step strategy. He wants to get us out from under the authority of God's Word to underneath the authority of His Word. So what he'll do first is he'll twist the Word of God a little bit. Just enough to get you wondering. And then what he'll do is he'll directly contradict the Word. And then what he'll do is he'll begin to distort and attack the character of God Himself. And we're going to see Him do this. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1. We just read verse 28. Let's read verse 28 again. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you it shall be for meat. Now let's go to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it and the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree how many trees every tree right of the garden thou mayest freely eat see the heart of God but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it verse 17 For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. If you read it in the Hebrew, the phrase says, in dying, you will die. It speaks of spiritual death and physical death. Now look at verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make an help meet for him. Another way to say that is, I will make a corresponding companion for him. So notice that verse 18 comes after his commandment. Why is that important? Eve was not yet created when God gave the commandment to not eat from that tree. What does that mean? It means Adam, the husband, had the responsibility to tell his wife the truth. And all the wives said, amen. Right? Yeah, that God gave the husband the responsibility to give to his wife the Word of God. Isn't that what it says in Ephesians? Right? To husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church, where he sanctified it and washed it uh, through the cleansing of his Word. Right? So as husbands, we have that responsibility to build our wives up in the promises of God. And if we see them discouraged in any way, man, we come in with a promise of God. Amen. Honey, you can do this. You can do it. You're chosen by God. You're called by Him. You're His daughter. He loves you in every single promise that He has given. It is yes in your life. Your body is strong and healthy. Jesus is Lord of your life. You have His wisdom. You have His strength. He is providing for you in every area of, his life, of your life by his life so he had this responsibility and it doesn't seem like he did very well we're going to see that in a second. it seems like he kind of slipped a little bit here because Satan goes to the woman first he speaks to the woman first now let's look at this this is really good Genesis chapter 3 now now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Why does he have to be subtle and crafty? Because he has no authority, right? When you own it, you just walk in the door and tell him what to do, right? He has no authority, so he's got to be deceitful. And the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, notice he speaks to the woman first. He says, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Did God say that? No, that's not right. It's close. Well, it's not really close. The only thing close about it, he did, God did talk about the trees of the garden, right? That's about the only thing true in that. But he's twisted the word of God. Do you see that? God said, you may eat of it freely of every tree. That's what Adam should have told Eve, right? The only There's only one that I don't want you to eat of. So he just twists a little bit, and Eve's kind of considering it. She does a pretty good job at the beginning. She, the woman says to the serpent... We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. Uh-oh. Did God say that? No. He sure didn't, did he? She just added to the word of God. I wonder if Adam communicated it to her in that way. I wonder if he said, Eve, we, we, we can eat of all these trees, but not that one. Don't you touch it. I wonder if she was repeating his word. Husbands, are you speaking the word to your wives? Are you adding to it? Religion adds conditions to the word of God, which has kept so many from experiencing the life that God has for them. I grew up in a church that added things to, to, well, didn't really teach the word of God, but boy, they added things to it if they did. So to be forgiven, I had to go sit in a booth. And talk to a minister. And then after that, the minister assigned me a penitence. And I had to go do several things after that. And even then I had no assurance of forgiveness. So that's what religion does. And here she's adding something to the Word of God. Okay? We don't want to do that. Not at Highway Church. We we just let the Word be the Word. That's where the life is. Just the simple Word of God. Verse 4. So the serpent says unto the woman... You shall not surely die. So see, he started a little bit. He twisted the word a little bit. She added to the word. Now they're kind of reasoning. They've gotten, they've, they, they've gotten a little distance between them and the word of God now. So he comes in very craftily and he directly contradicts what God said. You shall not die. And what did God say? And was it verse, uh, tw- where are we at? 17? Said in ver- chapter 2. Look what He said, You shall surely die. And what Satan said to her? You shall not die. You shall not surely die. So now he's directly contradicting the word of God to her. In essence, what's he saying? God is a Liar. liar, right? He's directly contradicting what God said to them. And then he goes on. He's not done yet. Now look what he does. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now what is he doing? Now he's actually directly challenging the character of God. Wow. He's saying, God, there's a reason he he told you that. He lied to you because he is afraid that if you eat this, you're going to be like him. Now, what do we read in verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1, or 26? Verse 26, God made them what? In his image, in his life. Were they like God? Yeah. See, if if you'll start stepping away from the word of God. See, the devil has the same strategy today. He'll twist the word of God a little bit. Then he'll directly contradict it. Then he'll get you to think God is keeping something from you. That God's holding back from you. And if you'll listen to that, you'll get to the point where you won't be able to recognize who you are in Christ. So here he is talking to Eve who's made in the image of God telling her that God doesn't want to have that because she'll be like God. And she starts believing him. She doesn't even see herself because she's listened to his word. And that's what happens. So let's look at verse 6. It's good to be able to recognize yourself. See, that you are the healed of God, that you are God's son, God's daughter, that you are his child. If you just look to the word, you'll see who you are. Verse six, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, what did we use to see with? Our eyes, right? What are our five senses? Sight, taste, touch, hearing, and smell, right? So she's using her senses to determine what is right and wrong. And that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She's come to all these conclusions based on what the enemy has said and based on her senses, not based on the word of God. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat. She made a major life decision based on her five senses and the word of the enemy. Major life decision based on her five senses and what the enemy said to her, not based on the word of God to her. And she ate, and she gives to her husbands who's with her. I wonder why he was quiet the whole time. Hmm, interesting. But he eats it too. See, when you start looking and listening to the enemy, you'll begin using your senses to determine what's right or wrong instead of the word of God. What does Hebrews 11.1 1 say? Can you put that up there, Eden? Now faith is being sure of what our five senses tell us. No? no. no. Nothing in there about our senses, is there? No. Why? Because God's commanded us to live by faith. He's an unseen God. And His provision for you is unseen until you believe it. See, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, certain of what we cannot detect with our sight, our taste, our touch, our hearing, and our smell. So we're different people. We live by a whole different system. Our whole method of operation is based strictly and solely upon the very Word of God. We make our life decisions based on the promises of God. Isn't that good? Yes. And we're sure of it, not because we can see it or feel it. We're sure of His love because He said it. That's right. We're sure of His promises because they came from Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, when Adam and Eve obeyed Satan, in essence, at that point in time, because of the spiritual principle, whether they realized the fullness of it or not, we don't know, but Satan became their master. What they did is they said, we believe you. We believe you're telling us the truth rather than this God who made us, right? So they made Satan their father. Very important to understand that. They were reborn. They were born again at that point. But they did it this way. They were born from life into death. They were made immortal and they became mortal. Simply by listening to Him. Right. And at this point in time, death enters the human race and the curse of sin falls upon the earth. And you can go to icr.org and check this out, the Institute for creation research. But years ago, I remember just doing some studies on this, and I read some scientists' uh, dissertations and some studies they've done, and they felt as they, they, they studied the earth and creation that at this point in time, when, when the curse of sin, when Adam sinned, that the earth shifted on its axis and altered the climates of the earth. Makes a lot of sense. But you got to understand that everything on the earth changed at this point. And oftentimes when people will say, well, if God's so good, why are the things going on in the earth that are going on? Why is there war and crime and murder? Because of the curse of sin. The Bible has answers. We have to be willing to accept those answers, right? So God explains what happened. So death enters the human race, and every human being born after Adam was born under the curse of sin. It's a happy story, isn't it? Well, if we stopped here, it wouldn't be. So Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, All for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But this wasn't God's will. It was never God's will for death to enter the earth. God is the opposite of death. He's the opposite of sickness. He's life and He's health. It was never God's plan for this to happen. It was never God's plan for Satan to get in the way of his relationship with man. It was never God's plan for us to have an obstructed relationship with him, a hindered relationship with him. So what did God do? He implemented a plan of salvation. He put into effect a plan of salvation so that we could be born back into his family so that we could be reborn, born a second time. So Adam was reborn from life into death. And through faith in Christ, we're we're born uh, back into life from death. So we all died. When Adam died, we all died. And now, in order for God to implement this plan of salvation, because God is just, and sometimes it's hard to, to grasp this, but God has no beginning. He has no end. There's never been a moment on the timeline of the universe where God wavered in strength. He's always been all. He always operates at maximum power. He never needs to to get a a supply of something to, to replenish his strength. He never needs to learn anything. He never has to wonder what to do. This is God now. And He's the total sum of all that is right. He's holy and pure. And because of who He is, He can't just excuse our sin. Because He's just. He has to judge it. But the problem with that is, if He judges our sin, that means death for us. The wages of sin are death. And God didn't want death for us. So the only thing He could do was to provide a substitute. And that's what He did through Jesus. So God the Father asked God the Son to come to earth as a man and take our punishment upon Himself. Let's look at this in Colossians chapter 2. He didn't want us to die, but He had to judge our sin. So He said, then I've got to provide a substitute who can endure my wrath, who I can sentence to the death penalty so that they can live. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh... He made you alive together with him who's him Jesus right yes right satan was uh, had had jesus under his feet in the grave satan thought he won but the holy spirit raised him up and when he raised him up he raised us up too he made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our transgressions how many All of them, right? Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. The the curse of sin was blocking our relationship with God. It was blocking our ability to hear from God. It was blocking our ability to walk in the abundant life that he came to give us. So Jesus canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us and God has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. You know who nailed Jesus to the cross? God did. There's no way they could have taken him prisoner if God would not have allowed it. God the Father nailed His Son to the cross so that today on August 24, 2014 you can have life Abundantly. How do we experience this life abundantly? Through faith. This is where the rubber hits the road. Through being sure of His Word. If God has said it, then that is my reality. Regardless of the way I feel, Regardless of what anyone has said to me, regardless of what may be going on in my life, all I need to know is that God has said so. And through this faith in the Word of God, we receive the abundance of His grace and the gift of His righteousness and every obstacle is removed between us and God, we have unhindered access to the throne of God. You know, it's interesting, as I look at uh, back in the book of Job, when Satan came before God's throne. Did you ever wonder how he got access to that position? I believe, as I look at the Scriptures, that that was the position Adam surrendered to him when he obeyed Satan. (laughs) That's the position that Adam was to be in on a regular basis. But he gave that up, you see. And then it's in Job 33 when Elihu is talking, and he talks about that if if God could find a mediator, someone in between God and man that could impute to man God's righteousness, that God would restore man, that his flesh would become fresher than a child's. Job 33, it's powerful. It was a prophecy of Christ. So God has completely removed the barriers between us and Him. There is nothing hindering your relationship with God. Nothing. Thank you. But I don't always do everything right. Doesn't matter. Why? Because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. One more scripture. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. There is nothing in between you and God's provision for your life. You. Nothing. You. Nothing. There's nothing in between you and the health that God has provided for you. Romans chapter 5. Now we'll read the rest of verse 17 out of the New American Standard in verse 18. For if by the transgression of the one, now we know who that is. Who's that? Adam, right? Death reigned through Adam. Much more those who do everything right. No, those who receive the abundance of grace, what did we do to get God to give us this abundance of grace? Nothing. Nothing. It was absolutely His complete initiative. You, and you know, if we get saved that way, wouldn't it be foolish to go on, to try and now walk with God in our own strength? and think that that our prayers are going to be answered because of what we've done. If we got saved by grace, we've got to maintain a relationship with Him by grace. It's never on you. If it was up to us to fulfill our destiny, if it was up to our perfect perfection, we don't have a chance. It's His grace that empowers us to do what He's called us to do. Okay, so it's those who receive, that's our part. We receive the abundance of His grace and the gift of righteousness. What do we do now as a result of those two things? We reign. Now we're back to subduing and having dominion. Christ had to come to put us back in the place that God wanted all along. He's repositioned us now. We now subdue. We have dominion over We reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness. Whose act of righteousness was that? Jesus, right? There resulted justification of life to all men. It's so important to understand this because the devil will condemn you. He'll say, this is going on in your life because you did this or because you didn't do that. God does not operate that way. God will give you wisdom. He will instruct you to do things in a certain way. But that comes from the Holy Spirit. And when God speaks to you, there will be a peace with it, no fear attached. When God speaks to you, there will be an inherent built-in strength that will come with the Word He's just giving you. Okay? So, God has given us His word this morning that through one transgression, Adam blew it, but through one act of righteousness. We have been brought into His family. We've been totally justified to experience God 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. There's nothing hindering our relationship anymore. Your mistakes don't keep you from God. Your mistakes, your shortcomings don't keep you from Him. You are His unhindered, unhindered, unobstructed child this morning. Isn't that awesome? We're walking with him. Satan is under your feet again. (laughs) He's under your feet again. Sickness is under your feet again. Poverty, lack, death is under your feet again. This is eternal life. That they might know you john 17 3 right that they might have an unhindered relationship with you now we've had these three parts of this series to get to next sunday which we're going to conclude we're going to get into the, the the meat of it walking in this thing walking in the abundance of his grace and the gift of righteousness so many times it's been taught that faith is the problem and, and unbelief is a, is a serious issue. But what often contributes to unbelief is a lack of understanding of the righteousness that we've been given. So when people come before God, they're insecure, they're unsure. They don't have the boldness and the confidence that He has desires. They don't have the faith because they haven't received the righteousness that He's provided for them. And that's what we're going to do next week. So don't miss it. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you, Lord God, that you did it through Jesus Christ. You sent your son. You put the the obstacle, the obstruction of our sin, you put it on him. You buried him. You crushed him with a penalty for our sin. Lord, you nailed the certificate of our debt To him, you nailed him to the cross for us. And God, we thank you that he paid full price for our sins. That right now on this day, we are here this morning at Highway Church in an unhindered, unobstructed relationship with you. That there is nothing in between us and you. So we open our hearts wide when we receive all that you are in our lives right now. We receive the fullness of your life. We receive the fullness of your grace, the abundance of your grace, the gift, of your righteousness we're free from condemnation we stand before your throne this morning without guilt free from fear free from condemnation knowing that we're your sons and your daughters and with boldness we thank you that every promise is yes and amen in our lives in jesus name amen god desires to have an unhindered relationship with you That's why he sent his son. Through simple faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're born again into the family of God and can daily enjoy an unhindered relationship with him. Amen.